You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. And while you're opening your Bibles to the book of Jonah, you know that, and for the guys that were at Merge, that I'm, I'm a kid from the Big Island, born and raised in the Big Island. I say, I tell everybody I'm FBI. They go, oh, really? You're FBI? Yeah, from Big Island. That's where I'm from. I'm from Big Island. I'm from the Big Island. Um, grew up in a little town called Honoka'a, town of 2,000 people, graduating class of 110, 120 on a lucky day. Um, I'm a small town boy. I'm a small town kid. And when I went to the University of Hawaii um, as a freshman and I got there, I was lost. You know what I'm talking about? My dorm had more people than my hometown. That's how big it was. And so even though I was brought up with a level of religion, I was, didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wouldn't say he was my Lord and Savior. I had a knowledge of him, but I, it was in my head, and it was not in my heart. And so how many of you realize that when the Lord says that he's going to do a new thing in your life, that when he saves you, I gave my life to Jesus. I did some things, and I, and I produced some fruit that made me a young father at the age of 21 at the age of 19. At the age of 19, for some of you know my emerged story, at the age of 19, I became a young father. By the age of 21, I was a single dad, raising my daughter by myself. During that time, I embarked into the most difficult time of my life, and that is when I walked into a church that wasn't as nice as this, but had the same spirit as this place. My friends kept telling me, you gotta come to church. I don't wanna go to church. You gotta come to church. I don't wanna go to church. I don't, I don't want church. I, like, I, I want God, I don't want church. I said, well, whatever, we'll come back or we'll circle back around. They were praying for me, I hadn't realized, and they had seen where my life was going, and it was going down, although I was trying to keep myself up all by myself. And they kept telling me, you gotta come to church. And finally, one day, my friend Brandon, Brandon says to me, look, Bro, if you come to church, I promise you I'll buy you breakfast. I said, sold. I'm coming. Well, let's go. So come on. Don't, 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 nothing wrong with bribing somebody to come to church. Never under, underestimate the power of bacon. Can I get an amen? Bacon is strong, everybody. Bacon is strong. And so when he told me he would take me to breakfast, that Sunday I got my little, my little daughter Courtney ready. My, this is my youngest daughter, Karis, and my oldest daughter, her name is Courtney. And Courtney, it was just me and her, and I got her ready. And two, she was two years old, and I went to church for the very first time. And I walked into church, and then I felt the environment like this. I saw the worship words like that, and it began to grab my heart. From somebody who used to be a karaoke singer, almost by profession. I'm just kidding. No, I should have, like... Man, where was the voice when I was 21? Where was the voice? People used to give me a dollar. Can you sing this song for me? Unchained Melody. Come on, that was my specialty. Unchained Melody. Ooh. And I would sing that song. Come on. If you're from Hawaii, if you're from Hawaii, you heard of Kangos. I used to go to Kangos. That was my place. And I remember when I walked into that building and I saw that worship team and the passion. And they had overhead transparencies back in the day. That was the highest technology. The height of technology was the overhead projector. And if you had that job, it was an honor if somebody said, I want you to work the overhead projector. And you would be in the back while everybody was in the front. It was like you were in the Holy of Holies. And you would time it just so perfectly before the first verse and the second verse and slide it. And if you had that job, you were the man. Somebody say amen. And so I walked into that building and there I saw the words and the worship words and from a unbeliever's heart necessarily from an unsaved person who didn't know Christ as his Lord and Savior. I walked up and I saw those words and immediately I said, dude, that is a love ballad to God. That's a power love ballad to God. That's the way that I saw it from my focus, from my view. 
And at that moment, I don't know what happened, but I remember sitting in the second row during that worship. And I don't know if this woman had the gift of prophecy or the gift of discernment, whatever it was. But she put her hand on my back and she started rubbing my back. And I said, man, these ch church people are a little weird. I just got here. I'm in the second row. What's up with the rubbing on the back? But I started to cry because those words began to touch my heart. Because words like, God, I need you. God, without you, I would be nothing. Oh, Lord, I need your help. Put me on a solid foundation. Those kinds of words began to put the theology and the doctrine in my life that would change my life forever. There was power in that worship, just like in this house. And then when I gave my life to Jesus at the end of that service, at the age of 21, a single father, brokenhearted, not necessarily the victim, but definitely not the villain, I became the victor that day, that God had done something in my life that day that I would never be the same. Rick Warren says there are the two greatest dates in your life. Or number one is the day that you were born. The day that you were born. Because the day that you were born, no matter if it was because God doesn't make any accidents. Does, God doesn't go like, oh, he got her pregnant. He doesn't do that. Like, oh, my gosh, another child in the world. We weren't prepared for it. God knows, he sees, he understands every situation and every scenario. And even though that's where my life was at that moment, and even though that's where I was, the greatest day of your life, and number one, is the day that you were born. And that's why I'm so thankful that I did not do something to hurt myself, did not do something as a cry for help, did not do something to take my life because I thought about it a couple of times. And I'm so glad that I didn't, I didn't do it because I imagined what my own funeral would have been like. And if I pulled back and stopped and said I needed God, I needed God, and that was the answer when Brandon kept telling me you got to come to church. The day that I was born, the day that you were born was the most important date of your life. But the second most important date of your life is the day that you discover why you were born. This is why I'm on this earth. This is why I am here. And so when I read this text about Jonah, there's something about this that grabs my heart that makes me realize that Jonah was a prophet called by God, yet at the same time he didn't accept the call of God. So this morning and this evening, whatever time it is here in San Diego, three hours behind, it's afternoon, here we are. In Jonah chapter 1, I want you to imagine the scene with me of a man who got his life changed but then did not necessarily realize the day or the reason why he was born and put on this earth. The Bible tells us in Jonah chapter 1 verse 1 to 3, it says, Then the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go. Everybody say get up. Get up. Say go. go. To the great city of Nineveh. And announce my judgment against it because I've seen how wicked the people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. And he went down to the port of Joppa, or Jaffa, where he found a ship leaving just outside of Tel Aviv uh, for Tarshish. And he bought a ticket and he went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Those few verses just right there just gives us an incredible scenario of what is going on with Jonah's life. Jonah is a prophet of God. God already raised him up as a prophet. He had already spoken and God had already done things in his life. Jonah now had a new assignment, an assignment that no other prophet had ever had. The assignment was for him to go to another country. Normally prophets will only prophesy to their own country. For the people to turn back their hearts to God and come on, let's follow the ways of the Lord. Because this is a period of time where the people of Israel were not turning toward God. They were moving in different directions. They were deciding that they didn't want to follow the Lord. And they were doing the detestable practices of all their neighboring nations. And God had always warned them. And even in the book of Deuteronomy says, if you turn your back on me, I'm going to send these 
these things, and I don't, and you know, I love you. You're my own special nation. And they began to turn their back on God, and God says, I'm going to give you what you need, what you deserve anyway. So he brings in the Assyrians, and he brings in the Babylonians. The Assyrians were the people of Nineveh. And so now when you've got this scenario that Jonah does not want to go to the Ninevites because he can't stand the Ninevites, who could blame him? The Ninevites were wicked. The Ninevites were evil. The Ninevites would come in and abs absolutely just ravage their peoples. So Jonah already knew what was going to happen. But God called him on a mission to go do what he raised him up to do and go as a prophet and an evangelist to go to the city of Nineveh and tell them to turn their heart toward God. Yeah. But he doesn't do it, and he goes in the opposite direction. I don't know if you've seen a map of where Nineveh is and where Tarshish is, but I want to show you the map of where these two different cities are located. So Nineveh is in that, that direction. You see that, right? Nineveh is to my left. And Tarshish is to my right in Spain. Brother decides he's going all the way to Spain, everybody. And he decides that he's going to go as far away from God as possible. The reason why he wants to go as far away as God as possible because back in those days, they believed that God was in the land too. God was territorial. God was attached to the land. That the One God stopped at another border while another God took over. You know what I'm talking about? So in his mind, he's thinking, well, I'm just going to get on a ship. I'm going to pay the fare. I'm going to get on the farthest boat that, I, boat that I can go and get far away from Jerusalem as I can, far away from God's call of my life. And he's thinking to himself that when he gets on that boat, he's like, bye, adios, amigos. He goes, I'm out of here. And then everybody say, bon voyage. And he's thinking God's going to go, wait, Jonah, Jonah. I can't go, Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. But that's not true. Because David wrote in Psalm 139, he said, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to cover me or hide me and I'd the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, you cannot hide from you. I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as day. Bright as day, darkness and light are the same to you. So he realizes that God is coming with him. He doesn't know this yet. So if you're taking notes, and it has been proven in my 18 years of ministry that people who take notes have a slightly greater chance of having a bigger mansion in heaven. I'm just saying. If you want just an extra bedroom in heaven, I will take notes right now. I'm, I'm just kidding. But anyway, take notes. Number one. Number one, are you ready? Be aware of what you are running into. You got to be aware of what you're running into. Sometimes you don't know what you're running into. But I know I'm running away. I know I'm running away from the call of God. I know that I'm running from the assignment. But I have no idea what I'm running into. See, God knows what you're running into, but you have no idea what's, what's, what's ahead. And so what begins to happen is the Lord begins to do something incredible. What does he do? He decides that he's going to send a storm. The Bible says in Jonah chapter 1 verse 4, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. And I'm going to pause right there for a moment. Because number one, not only is it that we need to be aware of what we are running into, because he has no idea that he's running into a storm. But number two, it costs more to run than it does to obey. Every time you disobey God, it's just going to cost that much more. It's going to cost you more financially. It's going to cost you more in drama. It's going to cost you more in pain. It's just going to cost more. And oftentimes God says, if you just listen to me and obey what I want you to do and want you to live the life of a disciple and following me with all your heart, 
Having the heart that says, I'll do whatever you want me to do, go wherever you want me to go, say whatever you want me to say. God, even though it's not something that I really want to do, God, I'm just going to follow you because you told me that this is what I should do. I'm not just talking about the universal call over our lives. The universal call of my life and your life is this, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a universal call that all of us have, is to reach people, teach people, help people. That's our job. But within that is the individual call that comes, and that individual call is often not released. Listen to this, not released until servanthood begins to happen. Because if we're still just eating and consuming without contributing and serving, we're never going to find the call of God in our life, the personal call of God. So number one, there's a universal. Number two, there's the personal. So Jonah's got the personal, but what begins to happen, it costs just a little bit more when you decide that you want to do your own thing. See, you may not be running in the opposite direction, but you're just staying still, then that's still not going where God wants you to go. You may not be, your life may be pretty good and going really good right now. You may not be in the gutter. You may not be um, made a shambles of your life or whatever it is, but you can still disobey God just by inaction and not listening to the call that he put on your life. When Lisa and I got married, it was the greatest, the second great, third greatest day of my life. <laughs> First day was salvation. Second day was, was knowing why I was born. Third day was meeting, meeting Lisa. Almost choked on that water, excuse me. <laughs> and it was the greatest day. And I remember that when I finally got healed up, and I was active in that healing, I pursued that healing. When it was obvious that this was not going to happen, that I was going to remain single, when every opportunity and every door was finally shut and the writing was on the wall that this is never going to happen again. And I finally began to move on, move on my life. This is what I prayed. I said, Lord, I'm just going to be married to you. I'm going to be married to Jesus for, for a whole year. I didn't date nobody, didn't see nobody, didn't, didn't, didn't do nothing. And I just worked really, really hard. I worked at American Airlines um, as a baggage, baggage thrower, a baggage handler, baggage handler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to get it up there you know put it in that can right there for American Airlines worked there for 12 years um, had another job as I worked at uh, as a valet at a restaurant I had a side hustle as a multi-level marketing business on the side with telling people giving them the two to five year plan to financial independence and I was drawing circles in the living rooms and how much you making they, you know, I said well, I'm just curious how much do you make I said if I told you you wouldn't even believe it <laughs> I wasn't making a lot but I made a little bit of extra <clears throat> and I remember that during that time after that one year of being alone with God and my daughter and raising her up, I said, Lord, I need, a, I need a wife and my daughter needs a mom. And so, Lord, so I don't have time to go to the club because I don't do the club anymore. You know what I'm saying? I used to do the club, but I'm not going to find her in the club anymore. Yeah. So I just want you to know that when you go to the club and you, if you're going to the club or your friend might be going to the club or the person who's sitting next to you might be going to the club, that when you go, God, it's not like God's going, oh, why are you going to the club? What? Take me with you. No, he's not. He's going with you anyway. Can I get it? He's going with you. I'm not, he's not condoning it. He's just going with you. Anyway, there's bad clubs and there's decent clubs. Anyway, moving right along. So finally, I heard a pastor on the radio because that's how I got discipled. I got discipled in my own church. I got discipled by a pastor on the radio named Jack Hayford, Mike McIntosh in the area. This is, I'm dating myself back in the day. And I remember listening to the radio. And I remember the pastor saying on the radio that you should pray specifically. And I came from a background, in, uh, in theological background that said, don't, don't, you, don't, you don't really deserve anything. You already got the goodness of God. You already got the grace of God. And get what you can right now. And you, it's good. 
And then I thought, who am I to ask God for anything specifically? I don't want to demand anything from God, but I didn't know about speaking things. I didn't know about prophesying into my future. I didn't know about declaration and declaring prayers because I came from a background that had none of that in the religious background that I had. Zero, zero, zero. It was just repetition and memory. And even though I thank God for the repetition and the memory, it was all here and never went here. And then I get saved in a church that is a great church, a soul-winning church. But still, for some reason, I didn't get the message that I needed to... Um, pray specifically, and that's okay, because when I got it on the radio, and I began to get on my knees, and I began to make my list, and I said, Lord, if I could ever get married again, I said, Lord, can you please, 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 and please be careful, don't, don't just, this is my prayer request 27 years ago, 28 years ago, this was my prayer request, I said, Lord, if I can ever get married again, number one, can she be five foot seven, if I got to get that specific, I'm going to get that specific, I said, Lord, she can she be five foot seven, Five foot seven, because I, I just hope that my daughter, my children will be taller. You know what I'm saying? And maybe I went a little low, but that's good. I went five foot seven. I said, number one. Number two, can she be gorgeous Chinese? Come on, somebody. She's got to be drop dead hot. Woo! You know, ch gorgeous Chinese. Because you got to be specific, because there's a billion of them, right? So you got to, in their country, you got to be real specific. I'm Chinese too, so I can say that, okay? She's got to be gorgeous. <laughs> she got to be gorgeous Chinese. And then number three, check this one out. This is what I said. I said, she has to love Jesus more than me. Because if she loves Jesus more than me, we'll make it through any storm. And I remember after dating and here we were, we're getting, we're, we was, I was ready to put a ring on it. And we had our wedding ceremony, and Pastor Ralph came up who did the wedding, and he looked up at me, and I had sang to her that day, and I had joked around from the stage a little bit. I wasn't in ministry. I was serving, of course, in that kind of ministry, but I wasn't a pastor or anything. And he comes up to me, and Lisa walks up the stage. Remember that, babe? And he walks up with Pastor Ruby, and he walks up, and he puts his finger in my chest. And she worked for the team. I didn't work. I wasn't on the team yet. He put his finger in my chest. Whenever your pastor puts his finger in your chest, that finger automatically grows to like a foot. And it was like he waved that thing like, like this and went like this. He went like this, like this, like this. And he goes, you ought to be a pastor. And I felt that. I was like, no, no, no. It's my wedding. It's my honeymoon. We go. And it was, and I promise you that it kind of ruined the, the day, the rest of the day. It did. It did. And I was bummed because I didn't want to be in the ministry. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And what I wanted was I wanted to make millions. So I wanted to give to the kingdom as well. But I was running from my call. The second week that I got saved, this is crazy. I walk up and I sit down and you don't think you're really hearing from God. Who, who are you and who am I? And I'm sitting there in the second row and I just hear this voice. You're going to be doing that one day. In my heart, not audible, not out here like, oh, oh, no, no, you know. I said, I'm not crazy. I must be crazy in church because I'm feeling something that God spoke to me. And I'm like, and you know, have you ever have those nanosecond conversations with God? That, God, you got to be kidding. And I'm thinking like, this is just me just dreaming stuff up because I'm a dreamer. You know what I'm talking about? This cannot be God. I'm like, don't put it out there. This is God be crazy. Look at my life right now. And then all of a sudden, I, I remember that moment that when we got married, she said to me, he said to me, you're going to be doing this one day. You ought to be a pastor. That moment on, I didn't say, here I am. Send me, Lord. I didn't do that. I went, I'm going to go more crazy with this business because I'm going to do, see if I can make it. Because I'll do that only as a consolation. 
I want to do this. And I began to do my own thing. And can I tell you that, remember I told you that it costs more to do your own thing? Yeah. Way more drama, way more money, way more angst, way more frustration. The cost went up in my life at that moment. And Lisa was quiet and she was gentle. And she was like, I know he's doing it. He's, I know we shouldn't be here, but my husband wants to do this. And we just got married and I'm going to support him. And that's where we were. Jonah, in my opinion, is in the same place. It says, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. And then fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. The third thing I want you to write down is number three, is running only changes the scenery and not the assignment. Yeah. Running only changes the scenery and not the assignment. I can imagine, this is the way that I looked at, I, read my, I use my imagination when I read the Bible. I don't just read it. I just like, I put myself in that situation. What does that look like? He goes down from Jerusalem. He comes down to Joppa. It takes a while to get to Joppa, maybe about half a day. He gets to Joppa. He buys the ticket, puts all his money in because he can't afford the ticket. The ticket is very, very expensive to go on a ship that far away. You're going to have to use your life savings. Put his whole life savings in. And then what does he do? He sits down and he finds himself in a nice little comfy chair on the deck of that boat. We don't know if it's a fishing boat. Doesn't sound like it. Sounds like it's a cargo boat by the things that they threw overboard. So he sits down, and in my imagination, he's on a beach chair. You know what I'm talking about? On one of those cruise ships. And he's like, ah, oh. I'm like running away from God, man. This is so good. Nobody's gonna find me. Nobody knows my name. I'm incognito. I'm going places nobody's been. I've never been before. I've always wanted to go to Tarshish. This is my reason why. So now he begins to take out. His, 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 his goodie bag, and in his goodie bag, he takes out his sunglasses, and he got his sunglasses on. Then he takes out his tropical drink, and he puts his tropical drink back together again from the other service, and he sticks it in there, and he's got his little pina colada. You know what I'm talking about? And then he puts on his favorite playlist, and I don't know what kind of songs he would pick, but I'm thinking Christopher Cross, sailing, takes me away. He's like, oh, this is a cool groove right here. And then he's thinking, oh, man, no, let's, let's bump it up. He goes, hey, come on, come on, take a ride. There's a party over here. There ain't no jab. Just slide, slide, slippity slide. Well, just sail along. That's what you do. Just sail along. Sail along. I'm sailing along. And then he takes out his iPhone, and he's like this. He's like, yeah, taking my pictures. I'm going to put it on Instagram. Best life. Living my best life now. Whoa. Living my best life now. Hashtag best life, right? And he's thinking, I'm going away. I'm, going to do, I'm doing my thing. This is me time. This is all about me right now. I'm going to live. I'm going to do me. You do you. This is my best life right here. I do me. You do you. This is my life. And he's sitting there. And then the Bible says that God hurled a storm. A storm. But the Lord hurled. That's a big word. Hurled. Like, like. You ever heard, like, people throw a ball? He hurled it at me. He's just, like, he smoked it at me. Just put fire on that thing. God hurled a powerful storm. Can I get the map back on the screen? I don't know when that storm came. But did the storm come right outside of Joppa? I don't know. Did it 500 miles outside of Joppa this way? I don't know. 1,000 miles, 2,500. Just beyond Tarshish, I can see Tarshish. Oh, man, and he's like, the, 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 the music to Titanic is happening. He's like, yes, I can. I'm the king of the world. And all of a sudden, God hurls a powerful storm. Yeah. 
He has no idea what he's, what he's walking into. And I said, like my first point, I said, you never know what you're walking into. You have no idea. The cost is very high. You have no idea the other people. And here's number four. Running affects everyone around you. Everybody else, all those different people on the ship, verse 5, fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help, their own gods, for, they, for their lives. The desperate sailors, for they threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep in the hold. And so the captain went down. He's sleeping, everybody. Went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? How can you sleep? you crazy. He goes down into the hold. Get him. Jonah. Hey, Hebrew. What are you doing? Why are you sleeping? How can you sleep? And he gets back up. Get on up here. And then all of a sudden the storms get bigger. When fishermen get scared, everybody, you know it's time to get scared. That's so why my friend Guy over here, Guy Taylor, he goes, come on, bro, let's go. Come on, I'll take you out. Me and Cameron, me and your cousin, we'll take you out on the jet skis. We'll tow you in. I'm like, crazy. I tow in surfing. He's like, you told me that, right? Hey, I'll take you tow in surfing on the North Shore. I'm like, no way, guy. That's crazy. I surf like this. This is the highest I'll surf. Like, this is the highest I'll surf. And when, if a guy like him would ever get scared, then I would start getting scared. Can you imagine that? He's a waterman. He is a bona fide waterman. And when you think about this, the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. And now he's sleeping. And there are going to be times that there's this call of God in your life and you've fallen asleep and you need to stay woke. Or oh, maybe this is this situation. That maybe that your life right now is going pretty good, but you know in your heart God's told you that something is coming, that something needs to happen, that some, there's some call of God that is powerful, that you can't even explain, that you don't even know what it looks like, but because it doesn't look as good to you as you want it to look, then maybe you're just going to sleep on it. Wow. And Jonah is asleep, and while he's sleeping, he gets woken up. Now some of us, can oftentimes, I can sleep through it. Can you sleep through it? There's some things that we can sleep through. Some people can sleep through coffee. I've had coffee at 9 o'clock at night. I can sleep through it. Not me. I think Drew can. You can probably. No? Some people, they can sleep through all the noise. I can sleep through all the noise. Some people can sleep anywhere. I can sleep anywhere. Anywhere. It doesn't matter. Just give me five minutes and I'll be out. Some people can sleep through anything. And sometimes we make more about, I don't, I think I have a piece about it. What do you have a piece of? Uh, Jonah seems to have a little bit of peace. I have a piece about going in the opposite direction. I prayed about it. I talked to God about it. He knows I'm mad. I feel it's okay. I have a peace. There's not a lot of passages that back up that kind of peace. There's the kind of peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's the peace of Jesus. Right now, we got ourselves the peace of Jonah. Don't, don't mix up the peace of Jonah that you can sleep through the storm because he's asleep. Because this storm is not a demonic storm. The Bible will tell us all these different demonic storms, especially during Jesus' time. Jesus walked on water, that was different. But when he went to go see the man on the other side with all those pigs, the devil didn't want him there, but Jesus was sleeping. And he got up, he said, peace be still, and the thing just quieted. That's the peace of Jesus. This is the peace of Jonah. 
You don't want the peace of Jonah. But I can sleep through that. My conscience can sleep through that. In any aspect or area of your life, God wants us, wants me, wants you to fulfill the potential and the call and the mandate that only you can do. Because there's only one of you. There's only one me. There's only one Lisa Kai. There's only one Pastor Drew, one Pastor Emma. And there's only one of you that only you can do it. I'm almost done. Running affects everybody else. So what do they do? They tell him, before they confront him, they start taking all the cargo, start taking it off, throwing off their cargo. When you don't, when we don't fulfill the mandate of God in our life, and we still on the boat, everybody else starts chucking values, chucking all these things off to keep you alive and to keep you on the boat. They compromise for us. They compromise for you. Because we'll do anything to keep everybody afloat. But now comes the personal responsibility of the mandate of God in your life. So then in verse 7, each man said to his mate, they must be Australian right here. <laughs> Come, let us cast lots. to Maybe we can learn who, on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded, who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? In other words, what's your identity? What's going on with you? What's happening beyond the surface? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this. For the Lord had already told them that he was, he, for Jonah had already told them that he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. Why did you do it? We're all going down with this ship. But then in verse 10, verse 10, not 7, put them together, you get Tevin. Verse 10. <laughs> The sailors were terrified when they heard this. For he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. What should we do to stop this storm? They said in verse 11. Because the storm was getting worse. He goes, throw me into the sea. Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Oh, you think. Throw me into the sea. You know what I'm saying? Throw yourself in. Jump in. Swan dive. Do what you got to do, bro. Get off this boat. You go. I don't want your blood on my hands. And instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them. They couldn't make it. And then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. They pleaded. Don't make us die for this man's sin. Don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this storm upon him for his own good reasons. In other words, Lord, this is not our fault. It's not our business between you and him. And the sailors picked up Jonah and threw him into the raging sea. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Bro, you grab one leg, you grab that arm, you grab that leg, you grab that arm. All right, let's heave ho this brother right here. Come on. But heave, ho, heave, ho, heave. And that's where flossing started. Heave, ho, heave, ho, heave, ho, heave, ho, heave. Anyway, just, I'm just saying. And he, and he threw him. And Jonah, you can imagine that Jonah, like Jonah probably wasn't graceful. Jonah's like, ah. And then all of a sudden, boom, he hits the water. And the Bible says, I'm almost done, I'm almost done. The sailors were all, that the storm stopped at once. And the sailors were awestruck by the Lord, the great power, and it's the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve the Lord. So in other words, he goes flying, all, ah, and all of a sudden, boom, hits the water, and it goes calm. 
And you can see like the 10 sailors are looking over. Oh my gosh, wow, whoa. Oh, Yahweh, God is amazing. Look at him. And now he comes up, comes up to the surface. Hey, guys, he's trading well. I told you it will be okay. I told you it will be okay. And then all of a sudden the Bible says that God sent a big, great fish to swallow Jonah. It's all good, guys. It's all good. No, it's all gone. And the guys are like, oh, to all of a sudden, oh, oh, oh. Oh, they, they went like, whoa. To all. You see it? You feel it? You see it? And the Lord arranged for a fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Let me give you two things and I'm done. You might get swallowed up, but when you sold out, convenience turns into covenant. Convenience turns into covenant. And sacrifice becomes sweet surrender. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to C3SanDiego.com.